Welcome to Don't Box Me In, the show that features conversations with people from all walks of life, talking about their extraordinary experiences and inspirational messages. Now, here's your host, Lana Reed. Well, hello, hello, hello. Like I said, I'm Lana Reed, and welcome back to this week's edition of Don't Box Me In. You know, one of the top reasons high school students don't pursue college is because they think that they can't afford it. My guest today is here to show that college education is obtainable. For the past 35 years, college admissions and financial aid expert Reese Aristi, who is the author of the critically acclaimed parent student manual, How to Pay for College Without Going Broke, has helped thousands of college and college-bound families to obtain the American dream, a, a superior education. At and at a cost far less than they ever dreamed possible. Reese is the founder and president of Payless for College in Boca Raton, Florida, where he welcomes the opportunity to guide college and college-bound families safely through the often turbulent and confusing journey of user-unfriendly admissions financial aid process by showing them how to survive and master it. To that end, Payless for College offers these informative, eye-opening seminars Absolutely free, 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 free as a community service and awards students for helping to arrange these free programs at their high schools. I'm thanking Reese in advance for sitting down and sharing this valuable information and extend a big, big welcome his way. Reese, welcome to Don't Box Me In. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Thank you, thank you, thank you for hanging out with me today. So first of all, Reese, let me let me get down to the the nitty gritty here. There's all this talk these days about um, this overwhelming student loan debt, and you know it just makes this task of going to college seem to be this out of reach possibility. Is college now at a point where it's still reachable to the masses, or is it only for a privileged few? No, it's college. Paying for college is the easy part. <laughs> Getting in is the tough part. And the reason is because you can borrow the money. Okay. You cannot borrow your way in. An admission ticket is a very valuable asset. But there are student loans of which hundreds of millions are indebted to the government. Okay. And then there are parent loans. And the parent loans, in my opinion, far exceed the loans that students have. Because okay. they're limited to how much they can borrow, whereas parents are not. Okay. So when you say parent loans, are you talking like um, just your regular personal line of credit, or is it, is it some other program that personal loans are? No, it's a parent loan for undergraduate students. Okay, okay. Federal loan. Okay, gotcha. It, it um, cannot be dismissed in bankruptcy. Okay. And the payments can be deferred while the student is in college. Okay. Where can you borrow money like that? I know, right? Buy a, buy a house <laughs> and go to the closing and say, uh, well, oh, yes, uh, the $10,742, we'll pay that back in three years. How about that? And then we'll start <laughs> making our mortgage payments in month 49. <laughs> yeah, everybody's going to go for that, that one, right? College. Now, you mentioned something about discharge and bankruptcy, and I think a lot of people assume that once you take on these student loans, like, you're stuck with them forever, and they're... No, they're... you're only stuck with them for about 20 years, and then they can be dismissed. <laughs> okay. And I seem to recall... you got to make payments. you got to make payments. Now, my college years have been so, so many years ago, um, but I do recall like, with certain um, financial aid programs, if, if you got loans, there were certain job... Uh, 
jobs that you could go into afterwards that you could get your loans discharged or whatever. Is that still available? Well, there there are. You know, it's funny that you mention that because not only uh, do we help families qualify for maximum financial aid by doing income planning and asset repositioning, and we do we also have admission strategies out of the box that will okay. help get students into the college of their choice. Once a student graduates from school and goes out in the real world, we negotiate job offers. Okay. And that's when we get a piece of the action. Okay. Okay. So you're involved in the whole process, I'm assuming, from when the kid is in high school to even after they go out there in the job market after they've got that piece of paper. Yes. Actually, we like to uh, bring people into our program at the end of middle school. Awesome. Just before they enter high school, so they're laser-focused. And when it comes time to run for president of the freshman class, our kids are the first ones with their hands up where other kids are hiding behind somebody who might be taller than them. (laughs) Awesome. Well, well, tell me this. Let me me step back a little bit. Why in the first place is college so expensive? Shouldn't it be something that everybody has access to? Because loans are available to pay for it. (laughs) Okay. If there weren't any loans, there wouldn't be $65,000 for most of these high-priced uh, private schools and some of these uh, state colleges like the University of Michigan, uh, North Carolina, uh, Delaware, uh, Maryland, etc. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, because I know um, I'm a UCLA uh, graduate, so I know back, you know, in in like the dinosaur days when I started, it was really, really economical and fo- affordable. But I'm, you know, talked to some of the kids today on campus and I'm just like, how are you guys paying for this and why and when did it increase so much and how do you justify you know I mean because a college kid is still a college kid no matter how you package it up and they just don't have the income sometimes to um, you know support their dream of higher education you know no, but, but, but the the payback is based on income yes income based so after 20 years if they made payments the, the balance can be forgiven okay they're not going to have to pay until they're 90 years old. Okay, okay. And I think that's what a lot of people are thinking. They hear these these terms, you know, student debt, student debt, and they think that this goes to the grave with this person. But no, you're no, telling, no. Okay. There's also deferment and um, many, many, many families uh, have various payment options down the, down the road. Okay. Okay, gotcha. Now, when a when a family and a student and the parents of the student are, you know, beginning this process to think about college and they're thinking about college costs and college tuition, what what all should they be thinking about to add to this bucket of what they have to pay for? I'm pretty sure it's not just tuition. Well, no, tuition, fees, mm-hmm. room and board, books, miscellaneous, etc. Travel, they all okay. factor in. The cost okay. of attendance is the whole ball of wax. <laughs> the tuition might be 35000 but then when you add the dorm and the books and, and uh, everything else, you know, a food plan or whatever, uh, it'll add up. Okay. Now, if, if somebody doesn't have the, the fortune to run across somebody like Reese, are there other programs in high school and middle school to kind of gear families and students, you know, in a direction – to, to succeed financially when it comes to college, or you know, is everybody just kind of out there swimming as they can? They're, they're on their own, basically. Um, it used to be a number of years ago that the high schools would simply hand out the FAFSA, the Free Application mm-hmm. for Federal Student Aid form, 
and tell the student, bring it home to your parents. There's no cost. You can fill it out yourself and, you know, get into the financial aid system. Well, they surely wouldn't have done that if it was a 1040 because the majority of people who file tax returns, which don't cost anything, hire a professional to get them a refund or determine how much they're going to wind up owing. Okay. They don't have seminars on how to pay less for, for, for to the IRS. <laughs> I don't think the IRS would really want that, right? That's right. I mean, <laughs> um, College Goal Sunday, which they have in uh, in January, at, you know, sometime around the Super Bowl, uh, they have uh, the high schools invite the local people from the colleges, and they talk about <clears throat> student loans and uh, grants for very low-income families, but the, the two things that are never discussed are income planning and asset repositioning because okay. in the financial aid formulas, students have no asset protection allowance. For every dollar they have, they lose no less than $0.20 cents per year in financial aid. So if a student has $1,000 in a bank account or in a custodian account and they leave it there, They'll lose eight hundred dollars while they're in college, eighty percent. So I guess I'm hearing that it's best for the college student to go to college completely broke and and penniless. That is correct. <laughs> okay. But, okay. What, but before that, parents should go to a free financial aid consultation with someone like myself. Obviously, okay. I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I just happen to have more experience than everybody else in this business. <laughs> okay. But most people will offer them a free financial consultation to, dis- to determine the extent to which they might be able to help them. And that's what I've been doing for 36 years. Okay. Awesome. So, um... Excuse me. And, and there are really two choices that I tell a family, and you'll get a kick out of this. <laughs> we can help you or we can help you. <laughs> Win-win. I love it. I love it. I mean, and you know, and, and like I said, depending on what income bracket, socioeconomic status you're sitting in, you know, I just really, there's a myth, I guess, that everybody is falling into that it's just really not for me, you know, maybe it's best I go pick up a trade and, you know, um, a, a lot of... Absolutely, positively. Yeah. They don't need a college education. They need yeah. a trade school because yeah. maybe they're more geared to uh, working on conveyor belts like yeah. my uh, ex-wife's son. Yes. He's one of the foremost conveyor belt experts in the country, and he got a GED and never went to college. But even in that, though, um, I guess if you even if you go to trade school, that does require some sort of tuition, correct? Well, no, he learned it on the job training. Okay, okay. I'm thinking more like the auto mechanic or something like that. Oh, they yes, do have. To- yes, of course. But there's financial aid for trade schools. Okay. Just like there is because it's higher education. Okay. Okay. Okay, so let, let me let me back up because I'm, I'm going I'm getting ahead of myself here. Let me go back to the because you talked about the middle school student and we need to kind of start this process then and, and then you know Reese's with them all the way until you know they get their job. But middle school, high school, are there things that um, the student can do and the family of the student can do way back in these beginning stages to make college a little um, more affordable? I, I know when I was graduated from high school, you know, take your AP classes, take your AP classes, that way you'll have less classes to take when you get to college, but, you know, um, are there some... Yeah, but you some went to a state college, 
So yes. actually the, the ATs, if you got fours and fives, it, it uh, qualified you to take less classes. Okay, but are there some things that the the high school student can do that can kind of make the college cost less, or maybe increase their chances of getting Absolutely into college? Positively. Okay, and what, what what kind of? Well, first of all, um, students need to be concerned about community service hours, as opposed to being the president of the debate club. You okay. know that'll get that'll get some some points, but over the past few years. I've had a number of students that I've worked with for three and four and some, some four and a half years who had accumulated over a thousand hours of community service and got community service scholarships mm. in these schools to the tune of thousands of dollars because wow. seven hours of community service is equivalent to an 800 on an SAT score. Wow. I've had kids set up nonprofit organizations. One of my one of my students um, who lived here uh, in Boca, and I worked with her from the tenth grade on. I got her an interview in Money Magazine, and not only that, uh, one of her younger brothers was legally blind. So I told her, "What you need to do is set up a nonprofit organization. You'll be the founder. You'll hire your friends. They'll be the officers." And she collected over $15,000 for visually impaired, and Harvard was very impressed. I would think so. Awesome, awesome. And, you know, young people and even the parents of young people sometimes don't think long-range like that. And, you know, you would just hope that there would be, you know, Reese's in every sort of demographic to kind of get each child this 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 chance. Um, but, you know, Hopefully interviews like this will, you know, spread the information out and, and get them to connect with you. But I want to continue on with um, some more things that the middle school, high school pa- uh, student and family can possibly do. But we need to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back right after this. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Welcome back. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Like they said, I'm your host, Lana Reed, and today I'm spending some time with uh, Reese Aristi. He is the author of the book, How to Pay for College Without Going uh, Broke. And uh, right before the uh, break there, we were talking about a, a few things that the um, – going to college a uh, student can possibly do to kind of increase their chances um, to be financially stable and, and possibly be admitted to college. And one of the things you had suggested for one of your um, clients was community service and, and opening a nonprofit, starting a nonprofit, and that's very unique. I, I really like that. Are there any other suggestions um, or tools or trips, t- tips or tricks that you have that you can suggest to uh, potential students? Yes. Um I've worked with kids from the ninth grade on, and what I recommend is doing things out of the box. And I've got students on campus interviews as non-applicants in the 10th grade with department chairs, and it helps to grease the skids Mm -hmm. when it comes time to apply Okay. because it's the known versus the unknown. And very often they get a letter of recommendation from the department chair that they've talked to and communicated with and met with over the past couple of years, and they're less interested in what the kid's GPA was because it's the right type of student that they want for the college. Okay. It doesn't always just boil down to the numbers. Okay. Okay. Um, so 
are you an advocate or a big advocate of, you know, you, you see these at high schools all the time, these big college fairs, and, you know, they're in the gym and there are tables and tables of these different colleges with literature. How does a student make the best out of those types of events? It's pretty difficult unless the people who are presenting at those um, uh, functions are actually admissions people who they can present their credentials to and give them a copy of their resume. And mm. every student needs a resume because it's their life on paper, and they need to uh, show exactly what they've accomplished in the past few years so that somebody will be impressed and then keep up a dialogue with that person and make it that much easier when it comes time to file their, actually, their actual application to get into the ad- admissions process. But the most important thing is doing things out of the box because if it's what everybody else does, they get on the Common App, they fill out the application, there's a, a, a question on there, is there anything else you'd like to tell us about yourself? And they leave that box blank. They're asking for big trouble because mm. the college is begging for more information and that's where they can stick their resume. Okay. So, and you know, I'm thinking about this time, admission time, when there's thousands and thousands and thousands of these applications sitting on somebody, who knows whose desk. I mean, how does the potential applicant make his or her application stick out in the first place? Well, the most important thing, they've got to already have been in touch with someone in the admissions department at that college. Okay. And maybe a department chair in whatever department that they want to be in. And if they actually met that person to go to the school to present their credentials, because what they're looking to find out is if the school has the right program for them because they surely have the qualifications to get in. It's just the opposite. Okay. So most of these schools don't do on-campus interviews, but I get my kids on-campus interviews as non-applicants before the, Hmm. the, the admissions process even begins. But here's a strategy for anyone who has their own business or any income whatsoever from self-employment. Mm-hmm. It's the best um, financial aid strategy that exists. If a family has a small business, starting at the age of 14, they can put their kids on the payroll and pay them right now $6,300. And if the parents earned 6300 they might pay a thousand or fifteen hundred dollars in income tax. The students mm. will pay zero because it's the zero tax bracket. Yeah. So just imagine paying your fourteen or fifteen or sixteen year old who's not in the financial aid system ten thousand dollars a year, and they wind up paying a modest three hundred and seventy five dollars in income tax. You would have paid probably two thousand. Yes. Multiply that times four times the number of kids that you have. Okay. So thousands and in some cases tens of thousands of dollars in income tax savings. And that's thanks to President Bush. (laughs) So that's another viable option to uh, stack up some um, funds for college there. Uh, and, And you said and you mentioned there the person who has more than one kid possibly. Are there certain saving tools that a person has to consider? Let's say if we don't space our kids four years apart. Let's say my kids are, you know, two years apart or a year back to back. Do I have to employ different saving tactics to um, 
get the funding together for my, my kids' college education? Yes, they have to be broke. <laughs> they have to there be are, broke. There are legal financial um, uh, uh, programs where the money is guaranteed, safe, insured. It'll be outside the financial aid formulas, and it'll be liquid. Okay. So students have to be broke. And because parents have had their asset protection allowance slashed so drastically over the past couple of years, um, a 48-year-old family with two parents has under $10,000 of asset protection allowance. Everything over that, they're going to lose 5.64% per year in financial aid. Mm. So parents need to be aware of asset repositioning to qualify for maximum financial aid. Okay. Students have to be broke. Students have to be broke. And, and, so, and 529 plans can be very dangerous. Okay, so go ahead. What, 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 what's dangerous about this? Because you hear about those all the time. Yeah, well, all the while, once they're, once they're in the financial aid system, before they have to pay for college, the whole balance is going to be subject to assessments in the financial aid formulas. Mm-hmm. And in many cases, the account is in the red. It's, it's, it's in, a, in a loss. So not only will they have no gains to have tax-free uh, gains, but they're going to lose 5.64% on the whole balance. And then if they take some of the money out and use it to pay for college, the remaining money is going to cost them more losses in financial mm. aid. I had, a, I had a situation this year, this past year, where one of my clients had $68,000 in his 529. He had mm-hmm. 18000 in gains. So he closed out the account and sent the University of Texas a check for $18,000, and then we simply repositioned, that was tax-free, and then we simply repositioned the other 40000 where it was outside the financial aid formulas. So he got the best of both worlds. Okay, okay. So do you recommend any kind of thing so that the new mom and dad who just, you know, they have a newborn, do you recommend any kind of savings account or whatever for the possibility of college education? Well, um, a 529 plan can be, but you have to watch it very carefully. You can only move the money maybe once a year. Uh, okay. The other, the other uh, savings vehicle would be a prepaid tuition plan because okay. that will guarantee to buy a future education with today's dollars, maybe 15, 16 years down the road. Uh, okay. The only problem, the 529 prepaid tuition plans are not the same value they used to be. Mm. Uh, when I came down here to Florida over 20 years ago, a four-year tuition plan cost about $3,500. Today, the tuition is $6,500 hmm. for one year. So those people who bought early saved a tremendous amount of money. And okay. there's no tax on the benefit of using the prepaid plan to use to pay for college education. Okay. Um, it's such a, a complex field that people need to be aware of it at least by the 10th grade because if they wait till the 11th grade, it might be a little bit late. There's another uh, financial aid form called the CSS financial aid profile that about 200 colleges use, and it's a very invasive form. It asks 
lifestyle questions. What kind of cars do you own, whether you lease hmm. or own, and what did you pay, and what model, and how much equity do you have in your house? And that can be an issue because there's something called the housing index multiplier. <laughs> and if it's a, a school like the University of Michigan or USC or the University of Miami or any of the Ivy League schools, Tulane, uh, I mean, I could go, I could go Rice, I could go on and on and on and name some of these colleges, they use the housing index multiplier, and you'll lose money just because you have equity in your home. Wow. Right. I mean, that's really cruel. Wow. wow. You, you, not every school does, but mm-hmm. a lot of schools do. And then there's another form for families that are separated or divorced. It's called the non-custodial parent statement. And very often, they will assess the custodial parent on some of the non-custodial parent's assets. Hmm. Right. Now, I read that you were kind of teaching a little trick called the ambiguous uh, non-custodial. Yes. What, what? In a divorce or separation, one of the parents is going to be more affluent than the other. Yes. And if they live in the same school district, nothing will prevent the student from living with the less affluent parent. Okay. And consequently, that's who's going to be responsible to pay for college. It'll be based on their income and assets. If, okay. on the other hand, uh, the parents do not live in the same school district, nothing will prevent the student from moving out after they graduate high school and, and go live with the other parent, change their driver's license and their voter's card and whatever, and get all their records to go to that address, and then that parent will be the new custodial parent the forms will be refiled with that parent as the new custodial parent, and then they will qualify for massive financial aid in many instances. Awesome, awesome tool there, awesome tool there. I mean, it's all legal, moral, and ethical. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and hey, the, the, the point is, the underlying point is we need to pay for this college education to get us on our way, and this is the tool, the avenue that we're going to use to, to get there. So, I mean, I just think that's and, – and people don't really look at these things, that these are options. People don't know these options are out there for them, so it's good information to have. Uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back right after this. Let's return to Don't Box Me In with your host, Lana Reed. Well, hello, 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 and welcome back. Don't watch me in. Today I'm hanging out with uh, Reese Aristi. He's the author of the book, How to Pay for College Without Going Broke. Now, um, Reese, before the break, we were talking about uh, this ambiguous non-custodial parent strategy. And you mentioned something. It, it made me think about something else, you know, but you mentioned one of the, t- the tricks tips that uh, a student can possibly move to the uh, other parent's house, you know, and, and receive the benefits of being in a new resident. Um, but that brought to mind uh, of the student who possibly wanted to go to college um, that was not in their home state. And sometimes you get slapped with those um, non-resident tuition fees. Are there any ways uh, around uh, that for a person to, to get some extra financial assistance to go to school out of their home state? Yes, but we're not sure which ones or when. Because every, <laughs> every year things change. Oh, every, okay. What, what a school did last year, we have no guarantee that they're going to do the same thing this year. Okay. And a lot of the financial aid forms are out, and some of the colleges are in line with what they did last year, and others aren't. Okay. And we simply have to appeal. Okay. And you can appeal 
one offer, you can negotiate multiple offers. And I have students apply to multiple colleges and somewhat, some schools, especially here in Florida, and of course in other states, but specifically here, uh, there are certain, certain private schools that offer tens of thousands of dollars in need-based financial aid, and as long as the student is qualified to apply there, I have them do that, and then when they get an, a, a, a miserable offer from another school, we simply appeal, and we can use the, the uh, really good offer in the negotiation process. And mm. over the past few years, schools actually have printed forms for appealing financial aid, mm. and they, they will match very often some other school's offer. It didn't Good used to, to be know. that way, but now it, it, it's more, much more prevalent today. Good to know. I mean, I get. I, I would think a lot of people assume you get your package, and okay, this is what we're going to offer you. And most people will assume, okay, I guess that's what I have to take. But now you know that you can. You have some wiggle room. You can kind of say, no, you know, I've got something better out there. So you want to match this or not? I mean, uh, you know, not too many people would know that they have that playroom when it comes to trying to secure a better financial package for your college tuition. Well, it's more than wiggle room. <laughs> it's uh, more than wiggle. The, the truth of the matter is that I've appealed 99% of all initial offers. Hmm. And what most people don't realize is that there are eight opportunities for financial aid because there are eight semesters. Hmm. And if we don't get all the aid in the, in, in, the, in the first year, in the first semester, and the student does really well, we'll appear, appeal for the second semester, and maybe we'll get some more aid. Okay. Okay. So, um, you know, that whole, uh, everybody hears about the FAFSA, you know, and there's a time. Actually, let me ask you this first of all. Is there a time period where you have to apply using yes, the FAFSA? Fact, okay. They just moved it up from J January 1st, 2017 to October 1st, 2016, and it'll be based on 2015 tax return information. So anybody who's already in the system, they've already got their financial aid, you know, information, and anybody who's going to be applying for college, they've already got their tax return. Well, guess what? Maybe 2016 was a much worse year than 2015, and there's going to be a tremendous amount of appealing based on current income and assets as opposed to what the government already has that's on the federal form from last year. I see. I see. So, so you can you can go world. back in. You can go back and say my income dropped or whatever. So I need to appeal my financial aid package. Exactly. Maybe a, a new member came into the family, a child or a grandparent or out of town, uh, a relative or whatever, or maybe somebody lost their job. I mean, obviously, if they won the lottery, it would go <laughs> the other way. You know, they'd have to pay more. But so what? If they won the lottery, who would care? They wouldn't mind paying more for college. Now, you mentioned income taxes when we were talking about this FAFSA. Is it, is it a requirement that you have to have your taxes together to file these forms? Yes, by a certain – by whatever date the school requests it. Okay. And if you don't, then all the financial aid that's been awarded can be in jeopardy. So what I tell families, if they happen to have a limited partnership and they get a, a document called a K-1 in July because they, they filed for an extension and they're going to pay their taxes in October – but the college wanted their tax information in March, 
And they said, well, we just won't be able to have it by then. So they could lose all their financial aid. So what I implore people to do is to file their tax returns regardless of whatever information they have by whatever date the school needs it. And once they get all the tax information, good, bad, or indifferent, file an amended return, a 1040X, with the actual information that could have been on the form, but you didn't have it timely. Okay. But if they don't file the tax return, all their all their financial aid can be in jeopardy. Okay. Okay. Now, the student that is uh, filing the FAFSA, um, let's say they're also out there applying for, you know, certain scholarships, maybe from social organizations or whatever. So they don't really have a handle on what they're going to be getting in. So after they finally get all of their scholarships, do they have to go back and turn in this new information on their FAFSA? Virtually all schools will ask if there have been any scholarships or grants received. Uh-huh. If the school has awarded the student any need-based financial aid. And here's what happens. Um, they go ahead and they file the forms, and the school gives them a $5,000 presidential scholarship. Uh-huh. And in May, they go to the uh, B'nai B'rith or Catholic Knights or, or Rotary uh-huh. Club award banquet, and they get a $1,000 scholarship. And the, the person uh, giving out the award is going to say, and what college are you going to? Ah, the University of Denver. Well, we'll make the check out to the University of Denver, SBOU. The college oh. now gets this check for 1000 bucks, and they say, oh, how about that? <laughs> $5,000 grant that we gave this kid, we can now reduce it to 4000 because there's an outside resource. That's oh. called phantom money. Mm. The only time private school, pr- private scholarships are worth anything is when the school offered zero need-based financial aid, or the family's income was over $350,000 and they wouldn't qualify for any need-based aid. So then the student can pull their hair out and apply for all these, these, these scholarships with the likelihood of not getting any of them. Okay, okay. Because it's like worse than a needle in a haystack. Okay. Now, what about the unique, and I hear about this sometimes, this very unique situation. So you have these, these students out here who are trying to make a way to pay for college, and it just so happens that they have parents that are, you know, financially well off. But the parents are like, where you have to, you have to do this on your own. You have to find a way. Are, are there financial options for, because they still have to report their, their parents' income? Sure, because, because they're dependent. They, they cannot be, um, they're not independent students, they, regardless of whether they've reached the age of majority, and the, because they can't live on their own, they don't have uh, enough income. So consequently, what we have to do is appeal based on the fact that it's not their fault that their parents are affluent because they're the ones who will have the burden to pay for college. They'll have to borrow the money from their parents and then pay it back over time. Yeah, I think I had, had read some story in the news a couple of months ago. This uh, girl, she took her parents to court and sued them because they wouldn't pay for her college. Uh, but I'm I guess sure you know, she lost because yeah. <laughs> there's nothing that says the parents are responsible to pay for anybody's education. You know, but she should, you know, hooked up with Reese and he probably said, look, you know, we have some other options here we can explore. But, you know, yeah, I, I just. 
If the family owns other real estate, what's to prevent one of the other one of the parents from living in it? And now they're considered separated. Yeah, yeah. You know, I just thought that was comical. I said she actually took her parents to court because they wouldn't pay for her college education. But you know. well, they're not responsible to pay for it. that. Was, that was an act of stupidity on my part. That's yeah. Yes, you know. Well, some of these young folks, they can get. Oh yeah, you know, they think they know it all, right? <laughs> yes, they do. It they doesn't do. work. She tried. She tried. Right. Um, so, um, how do you? You can't be emancipated when you're a dependent. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, you know, I hear this. My daughter, she she just turned 21, you know, and I kind of laugh at her sometimes, but she does it. You know, Mom, I'm 21 and I'm grown now, and I just kind of look at her and nod my head like, "Yes, you have so far to go, baby girl. You right, exactly. have." <laughs> You just have no clue, you know. But they're 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 in that mode. They just think they know everything, and um, you well, know. Well, you know what I always tell people: when parents, you know, they try to explain things to their kids, the, the student looks at the parents and says, "What do you know? They all need third party, me or somebody else." That's right. Because they'll take our advice quicker than their parents. <laughs> true, true. Because I used to look at my mother and say, "Well, what does she possibly know about this?" You know. <laughs> And she's been there, done that. <laughs> yeah, well, I, of course, she, you know, my mother went to college when she was 14 because she skipped two grades in uh, in elementary school. She went from kindergarten to fourth to second. Okay. Kindergarten to second to fourth. Okay. Okay. So she knew the whole drill. <laughs> yeah, right. But that was a long time ago. But, so but the let problem, me ask you. The problem today, college is so expensive, although it's the, the cost of attendance is expensive. Mm-hmm. But it's like buying a new car. You don't go into the uh, the Chevrolet um, uh, office, office, you know, showroom, and look around and say, "Oh, I'll take that in green." And how much was it? <laughs> you don't pay. You don't have to pay sticker price for college. Yeah. Yeah. So um, let me ask you. Uh, there's there's always this phenomenon, you know, you hear you hope it doesn't happen, but it does happen, where you get this kid he's two years into college and they say you know what i don't want to do you know biochem you know i want to do journalism now so now we've got to tack on some more time and finances for the change of major how do you financially kind of cope with that well by the second year they better know what they're going to do or they're going to be in college for five years but they need to know that going in and when they go when they go away to college they have to make sure that whatever major they've elected, there are backup majors that that school will be able to afford them to get into so they won't have to spend five years. And some of these colleges, like what we have here in Florida, I mean, the University of Central Florida has about, I don't know, seventy or 80,000 students. I think it's the biggest school in the country. And notoriously, most kids will graduate in five or six years because hmm. they get closed out of classes left and right. Hmm. I, I had a student uh, not too long ago going into her third year and they canceled her program. She had to find mm. a major. Oh, wow. And the other thing with these state colleges with, with, with these humongous amounts of students, very often they'll be taught by someone who read the book rather than someone who wrote the book. Mm. You don't want a TA. Yeah. You want to find out what kind of stats the school has on what percentage of freshmen wind up graduating in four years, and that's where you got to think might be a, a good place for you and make sure that they've got all the other things that will make it amenable 
to uh, to go there for four years. Yes, and the other I mean because thing is, if if a student is going to be in a graduate program, the college takes this position. We're more interested in the known versus the unknown. Someone who's been there for four years and displays a great uh, presence of being a, 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 a you know an excellent student and has great you know important letters of recommendation, they're going to take that kid a lot quicker than somebody else who might have had higher numbers on their on their boards or their scores because they've already seen this kid for the past four years. Okay. So okay. any student going into a graduate program has to realize that you don't opt out for a cheapy state college and expect to get into an elite Ivy League school or an elite four-year program with a, with a B average. It's not going to happen. Make the investment going in. Ten times more important than undergrad. Okay. And that brings me to another question, but I'm going to take a quick commercial break, uh, and we'll be right back right after this. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Welcome back. Welcome back. Today I've been hanging out with the author of the book, How to Pay for College Without Going Broke, Mr. Reese Aristi. And, you know, before we went to commercial, you said uh, colleges prefer the known versus the unknown. And, and you know, a student should um, really look into making the investment into, you know, picking a better quality college. So I was wondering, because you hear a lot of people talk a lot of times about, you know, go to com- community college first, go to community college first. Is that something that you recommend or advise people kind of steer away from? Well, if it's a financial thing, then uh, it's okay to go to community college, but the kid better bust their butt and get dynamite grades. Okay. They'll be very sorry. Okay. Okay. They don't want to get a 2.0 and expect it. Then they're, like in Florida, any any student who goes to a, uh, a community college and, and gets an associate's degree is guaranteed admission into the Florida State university system, but not necessarily the college of their choice. And there are uh-huh. a lot of colleges in Florida, some of them very far away, okay. that don't have the best reputations. Okay. okay. And most other states are have the same type of program. Okay. Now, what and about these... Co- wants to cheap out and go to a community college, they better be on the dean's list to get into a really good school to go forward. Okay, and I'm assuming that they have to still use the same tactics that you were using, telling the middle school and the high school uh, person, you know, to kind of be in somebody's face and be present and, you know, have name recognition with this person when you're ready to go from community college to um, a four-year university. Absolutely. Okay, okay. Because now, what about these? Home go ahead. And cheaping out. So uh, unless their parents have very little income, they're not going to get any need-based financial aid. Okay. But it won't cost that much anyway. They can get a Stafford loan, and that'll probably pay for the whole thing. And what most families don't realize, as far as this this, this trillion dollar loan thing, student loan um, uh, issue, the most that a student can borrow at the undergraduate level in the Stafford loan program is twenty seven thousand dollars. So hmm. how does somebody wind up with a hundred thousand in debt? Yes. Graduate school, uh... and the parent or the parents picked up the bulk of it. Okay. If the student can only borrow 5500 in the freshman and sophomore years and 65 and 7500 in the junior and senior years and the school costs 65000 who do you think is paying for it? <laughs> they don't get the aid. Yeah. It's not Santa or the or the good fairy, you know? 
or Uncle Hanukkah or whoever it might be. Yeah, yeah. Easter Bunny's walking around with some debt in his basket, That's right? right. <laughs> That's right. It'll be the the bad, the big bad wolf, not the Easter Bunny. <laughs> so tell me, there's also these other schools floating around that everybody's hearing about these days uh, that offer these accelerated, you know, programs, um, and. They're, they they usually come with like a higher ticket value. Are there financial aid programs out there for those uh, those students? Or I mean, do you yeah. even recommend these these? Yes. These? Okay. It's it's a, on an individual basis. Okay. You know, we have to evaluate the whole thing. It's not okay. just you know here's the here's the cost and this is what I'm going to get. Well, we have to look at the whole thing. Okay. It's the same thing. You don't just fill out a FAFSA on 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 the cuff. You you okay. need to know what those real numbers need to be. And if they're skewed, then we can do legal income planning and asset repositioning to qualify the family for maximum financial aid legally, morally, and ethically. Okay. And believe me when I tell you that because I have a very big Internet presence. I've been doing this for 36 years. I've had clients on three continents. And if we were doing anything that was questionable, I would have been locked up years ago. Yes, indeed. <laughs> and you're here to talk to us today. Um, there's, there's something you've been saying all throughout the interview today, and I think it might be something that people need to kind of put in their minds and, and kind of have a concept of as they're dealing with the middle school, high school, and, and it's this asset assessment it's to be consciously aware of when you start filling out these forms when you start you know people are going to be looking at your assets how do people right out the gate you know when you, you you're in the maternity ward with this newborn baby how do you start to position yourself asset wise to be you know appealing financially because we want to have things we want to build a lifestyle for ourselves but we also at the same time don't want to jeopardize the possibility of our child's college future well, if you're talking about planning for college or once once they're in the system, if it's planning for college, they have to put away a modest amount of money every month and then every year increase it in something that's guaranteed, safe, and insured because if they put all their money into mutual funds, by the time the kid is ready to go to college, we can have another 2008, and then all their gains will be gone, and then their principal might be uh, 20 or 30% less than the amount of money they actually put into it. So that's not good. Okay. Um, you have to be very sure of what you're doing and plan for the future, not plan on the come. If you, okay. if you put money away, even in a money market account, and it earns 1% a year, at least you'll be guaranteed of having X amount of dollars in 16 years. That's okay. a lot better than figuring you're going to have four or five times that, and then the stock market turns against you in the year when it comes time to pay. Okay, okay. Now, what is when you're in the system, what is asset uh, assessment when you're already in the system? How do you kind of monitor that and make sure it's beneficial to the student? Well, right now, uh, the asset protection allowance is pathetic. Um, okay. For a 48-year-old family, it's under $10,000. Okay. So virtually all their money is going to be subject to assessments. And when I say assessments, we're talking about 5.64% per year in lost financial aid, and that's net after taxes, hmm. in order in order to lose five point six four percent, you've got to earn about eight or nine percent. Hmm. And there's nothing that's guaranteed that high. And to be able to earn eight or nine percent a year for any number of years, good luck. 
Mm. It's Mm-mm. not going to happen. Wow. So by, re- by, by repositioning the money and keeping it out of the financial aid system, it's guaranteed to save them 5.64% per year. $10,000 will save a family $564 a year, period. Okay, okay. You know, and I guess the the thing that really needs to be stressed, you know, just in, in scratching the surface level with you today is you, as soon as, you know, a child hits middle school and, and we're looking at the possibility of further education, you know, it, it's in the best interest of the family to sit down and find somebody to talk to. And I'm going to go out on limit and assume that the little middle school counselor or the high school counselor is probably not the best one who's equipped to give this family the information that they need to um, give them financial success when it comes to their, their child's college tuition. Absolutely, positively not. That is okay. correct. Okay. They can do a modicum of admissions help, but when it comes to financial aid, that is not their ball of wax. Okay. And okay. they would they would step aside. <laughs> so, how does somebody uh, reach you for um, to become a client and also to pick up a copy of your book? Well, first of all, before they become a client, they go to the website. Okay. Paylessforcollege.com. Send me an email. And I'll be more than happy to give anyone who mentions your show a free consultation to determine the extent to which we might be able to help them. Awesome, awesome. And if anybody has a student that's already in college and they have an unappealing or, or if they've already applied and they've gotten, you know, they're in the 12th grade and they're in the financial aid system and they've gotten an unappealing financial aid award letter, I will be more than happy to review that at no cost. Okay. Or, and you work work with students all across the United States. Applied to a bunch of schools. And you work with students all across the United States. Yes, and right now awesome. I've had I've had clients on on three continents. Awesome. Uh, well, actually four: North and South America, Europe, and Asia. Awesome, awesome. Okay, cool. We were at the end of the hour here. I had a couple more questions to ask, but. Uh, we have a way for people to get in touch with you. My guest today has been uh, Reese Aristi. Please visit his website, paylessforcollege.com. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. That is all for this week's show. I'll be back next week at the same time. Until then, remember when it comes to your dreams, the words can't and won't should never slow you down. There's always space to change and to grow. Don't be boxed in. Live your very best life. I am your host, Lana Reed, and I'll see you all next week.